One of the things we teach our kids in the Owen household is to stand up, speak up. There's a story behind this. We went to a march, and our daughter Georgia, who was four at the time, she said afterward, I wanted to speak up, but I was afraid my voice was too quiet and no one would hear me. In that same conversation, she said, I wanted to stand with people, but I'm little. They may not see me. Birthed from that exchange is our family mantra, stand up, speak up. Every one of our kids in this church, in this community, has a voice. They are a full person, just as they are. They belong in this world just as they are. They are precious reflections of the image of the triune God, just as they are. Our kids have every right, every ability, every reason in the world to stand up, to claim space, to be fully who God made them to be, every single right. And not only do they belong in that space, free to operate and become and behave in that space, they also have a voice. It's often said of women that they may have a seat at the table, but they don't yet have a voice. That point is well taken. Our daughters in this church, in this community, have every right, every ability, every reason in the world to speak to claim audible space that cuts through the noise, to say what their soul feels and needs to say, every single right. My wife and I think our job as parents is preparing our kids both for the world they inhabit now and the world they will inhabit. What tools do they need to succeed and to live now? And then what do they need to learn to do and to be as they journey the road ahead? Part of the answer is that they both need to be someone who stands up and speaks up for those who need a little more help and to stand up and speak up when perhaps they need a little more help too. We're teaching them how to look around the world and ask, how does this make others feel? And then internalize that question. How does this make me feel? Standing up and speaking up doesn't mean standing and speaking in every setting. It means standing with and helping others around you, creating systems of equity and equality when able. And not only does this messaging feel right and important to Noel and me, it comes and flows straight from the mouth of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thus far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has blessed the poor, the mourning, the meek. And today he turns his attention to the tired. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Why do you think he says, you will be filled? Because they're running on empty. They've been standing up and speaking up, and they're exhausted. They keep trying to fill a leaky bucket. They keep putting time and energy and resources into doing good and making small incremental changes when able, and it's flat wearing them out. And plus, the system is rigged against them. 
the bucket that they keep filling, it leaks. Now, the Bible doesn't use this phrase, but we know what this effort is. It has a word, compassion fatigue. Have you ever heard of this? It's a thing. In the medical field, it's defined like this, a term describing the physical, emotional, psychological impact of helping others, often through experiencing stress or trauma. It's a real thing. When you help and help and help and help and help and pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out, you get tired, fatigued, and empty. And Jesus knows it. He sees it in the eyes of the Jewish people. They are flat, worn out, empty, and they need to be filled. And so do we. I'm sure at some point in the last year and a half, you have hit a wall. I have. You try and try and try and try, give and give and give and give, serve and serve and serve and serve, and then it hits you. I can't do it anymore. At least not right now. I need a break. As your pastor, let me tell you something. That's okay. You're allowed to put the work down, to rest. Do you know what the most consistent expectation from God to Israel is in the entire Old Testament? It occurs more than any other command. Keep the Sabbath. There's a reason for that. We have to rest. We have to make moments happen for us to be refilled. Henry Nouwen calls it raising your drawbridge. You have to if you're going to continue the work long term. And we, as we know, there's a lot of work to be done. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, another word for righteousness is justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for equal rights. Jesus isn't arguing for personal piety here. He isn't honoring and blessing the people by saying, blessed are you who work really hard on your personal salvation. Now, he's not against that. I'm not trying to be flippant or trite. That's just not what this verse means. Jesus very much cares about personal piety and ethics and contemplative inner living. But in this verse, he's using righteousness as a universal and global responsibility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for equality and safety and see the blessedness of every living creature. I mean, think about why he's saying this. For too long, Rome has offered security and safety to the wealthy, to the privileged. And Jesus is telling a countryside of poor people, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Everyone is deserving of God's righteousness. Everyone is deserving of God's justice. Everyone is blessed. Everyone should be afforded the opportunity to live in right relationship with one another, with creation, and with God. And God bless those who have the eyes to see this truth, who hunger for this truth. For God knows they are tired. So Jesus says, blessed are the tired. Because in God's realm, they will be filled. This is just as much of a balm today as it was 2,000 years ago. Because the work is plenty. Today, millions suffer around the world from COVID-related either the disease or family dynamics. 
Millions more suffer on streets in abject homelessness. In the midst of unprecedented global wealth, our children still go malnourished. Food insecurity may be our biggest challenge to fight, and COVID shines a bright light on its inadequacies. How do we get fresh food to people who can't get to it? We saw this firsthand in Waynesboro when Mills on Wheels shut down and all of the senior adult shut-ins had nothing to eat. Racism, it's still a thing. There are people who unfairly benefit from a system that bends in their favor in this country and many more who unfairly are subjected to a system that unfairly bends away from them. Housing is still segregated in major cities in our country. Real estate and property appraisals are not equal. Real estate statistics pour out every year about how much your house is worth, and there is a clear divide down race. The cost of health care, it keeps millions from acquiring it. Life-saving medications can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, creating financial obstacles and burdens on the poor. It has been said, and not jokingly so, that some people are just too poor to work. They don't have enough disposable income for proper clothes, haircut, gas to and from work, a reliable vehicle, consistent public transportation, or adequate childcare. They have a leaky bucket and they need help. Sexism is still rampant in almost every occupation on planet Earth. According to Pew Research and American Progress, women earn 76.5% of what a man earns, despite being more educated across the board. Women are also more likely to be overlooked for promotions, subjected to sexual harassment, and reprimanded for childcare-related issues. And these percentages decrease when you move into women of color. I asked our Wednesday Bible study group once, who's going to have it easier in their career, my son Henry or my daughter Georgia? Unanimously, without hesitation, the room said, Henry, why? I retorted. They replied, he's a boy. Nobody questioned it because we all live out the empirical data that proves this point true. I don't mean for this to be a stump speech. I'm not intending to say anything political. This isn't identity politics the way Barrett sees it. I'm not trying to promote one thing or another. I just want to hold up the scenarios in which so many people alive today hunger and thirst for righteousness for. And I see Jesus saying to those workers, blessed are you, ma'am, blessed are you, sir. Keep it up. I know you're tired, but you're making a difference because in God's realm, you will be filled. The work Jesus is blessing is that of basic human rights. People have a right to healthy food, adequate health care, homes, clothing, and equality in the workplace. This is a human issue in which Jesus exposed the deep truth that there is still work to be done in the first century, and the same is still true today. Now granted, it has gotten miles better 
It used to be far worse for people around the world, for communities, and even for women. But 76.5% is nowhere close to good enough. And it won't ever be good enough until the number is consciously 100%. And that's the point. There still needs to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should all care about universal global human rights. And we are just scratching the surface of what people hunger and thirst for today. There are so many in our world trying to fill a leaky bucket all over the place. We haven't even mentioned the hot button issues. Things like mass incarceration, taxation, government, gun violence, school shootings, suicide, racial profiling, government surveillance versus respect for privacy, redlining, nuclear proliferation, deregulations for big oil, big pharma, deforestation, and pollution. We haven't even mentioned COVID vaccinations or cost of education, affordable housing, unemployment, animal rights, or human dignity. There are so many things wrong with the world in which we inhabit. There are so many injustices. So much of what we do in this world is unfair for some and it benefits others. There is evil in the world. And it is overwhelming to think about how one person can make a dent that matters. Yet every single day, there are people who wake up hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And they give their time and their energy and their hard-earned money to support and raise awareness for and to advocate for and to serve and to volunteer and to lead within these realms just so they can attempt to make a dent. In 2010, 7.6 million died of starvation just in that year alone. One in every 15 children in developing countries does die before the age of five due to starvation. Every year, 17 million children are born undernourished because when their mother gave birth, she was starving. Every 10 seconds, a child dies from hunger-related causes. These stats, they come from the United Nations and UNICEF. I'm not making them up. Poverty and food insecurity are major issues of our lifetime. And these stats, they don't even include the families who were one car accident, one flat tire, one medical bill from becoming homeless. They aren't below the poverty line, but they are dangerously close. In Waynesboro, 19% fall into this category. We are dangerously close in our city to having an affordable housing and homelessness crisis on our hands. All of our schools are on free and reduced breakfast and lunches. It is not like we're talking about poverty on the backside of Mars. It is right here in our town. On top of these injustices, there are still global wars, drone attacks, terrorist attacks, and mass violence all over the world in countries that we have nothing to do with. Did you know there are 16,000 nuclear warheads on planet Earth ready to be deployed at any minute. That seems like a lot. There are a lot of leaky buckets. And we haven't even talked about cancer yet. 
breast cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, pediatric cancer. Every one of these fields deserves advocacy and attention and money and research. In 2018 alone, the National Cancer Institute received $5.94 billion earmarked for cancer research. And it's not enough. We need more. Every year we make progress, but we have a long way to go. And people around the world know this, and they fight for this, as they should. We still haven't even mentioned suicide prevention, domestic violence, mental health advocacy. We haven't mentioned immigration, wounded warriors, first responders, women's reproductive rights, scholarship assistance, natural disaster aid from companies like Red Cross for victims of hurricanes or floods. And then there's Alzheimer's and dementia and better senior adult living facilities. The Trevor Project, sex trafficking, public and special education, child abuse, AIDS, global rights, and climate change. We could go on and on and on and on and on because the work is plenty. The workers are few. We need you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but you can't do it alone, and you're not going to be able to do it all. There's no way. There's not enough of you to go around. There's too much that's going to be left undone when you die. You don't have enough time or resources. So what can you do? individually, as a community, as a church? That's the million dollar question. Here's my answer. Pick something, anything, just one thing or two if you can, and jump in both feet. Get so far into that thing that you're the one who clogs the leaky bucket and then let the people who come after you fill it. Get in there and stop and stand up and speak up for something. Jesus is preparing the Jews on the countryside to effect change for the world that they inhabit and the world they will inhabit. He is asking them to consider what tools do you need right now to succeed and what are you going to need to learn as you journey the road ahead. Part of his answer is that they both need to be someone who stands up and speaks up for those who need a little more help and to stand up and speak up when perhaps they need a little more help too. And what we also learn from Jesus is that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they need to have a deep, an abiding love for their neighbor. They need to see with eyes that notice the downtrodden and then fight to help them. Whatever that looks like, they have to be willing to speak truth, but do it in love. And this has to happen at a systems level. We can't let faith remain at a personal piety level only. There is a lot about faith that is individual, no question. But there's also the reality that faith must engage the world. We are called to make disciples of all nations, which means we need to be people who hunger and thirst for the rights and well-being of all created things. But as you know, this kind of work 
will wear you out. You'll get tired. You'll feel empty. But take heart. Jesus knows this. He sees this. And he promises God's abiding grace and love will be with you in this work. God will replenish you to get back out there. For blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you will be filled.